You ready for the word of the Lord this morning? I've got something I want to share with you. If you're like me, I'm sure you've heard of plenty of sermons that have a certain direction to them. Typically, the sermons, you'll hear sermons on going from, from a season of pain into a season of purpose. Or you'll hear someone preach on going from brokenness to blessing or from, from testing into triumph. And I think all of us want to be on that trajectory where that takes us from wherever we are today in our life experience, whatever season we're in today, to a better season and a better day. And so preachers like to preach about that stuff. All of us do. And that surely is the place that surely somehow whatever the sermon we're going to hear is going to take us to a place of greater blessing, greater purpose, greater, greater everything. And when you're talking about the ultimate destiny of heaven, that most certainly is, is true. But have you ever noticed we're still on this earth? Have you figured that out? And we are still in the flesh in the sense that we're still confined to these bodies and confined to time and space and conditions of this world. Can I get an amen to that this morning? Do you ever read the Bible and run across a verse that could feel maybe either awkward or like it doesn't fit or it doesn't seem to advance the narrative of what you've been reading before it? Has that ever happened to anybody? It happens to me, and there's a particular verse like that that happens that I come across in Mark chapter 6, which is where we're going to be exploring this morning. If you want to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. The particular verse that I'm talking about, it snags me every time I read it. It kind of just catches me off guard because you're reading this wonderful narrative of what takes place and and, uh, and story of miracles. And, and I, then I come to this one sentence, and I usually just generally conclude that it, it just doesn't make sense to me. But nonetheless, it's still the Word of the Lord, regardless what I think of it. And, and, and I must look at it to see what it has to say to me. Well, I've discovered this particular verse has, has quite a bit to say to us this morning, which is my message to you today, when our trajectory is different from that which we had hoped for, going from this uh, worse place to a better place. That's the trajectory we're hoping for. This verse kind of speaks to that moment uh, when we're talking about the reality that you and I face. When our trajectory will look more like from, from a time of blessing, a season of blessing, into a season of brokenness. Or from a time of purpose and we feel the, the wind in our sails to a time of pain or a time where we're having to get out the oars and row for all that we're worth. Or a time of triumph, then straight into a time of, of testing. A, a season of good times, wonderful things happening, into a season of what we might say is less than good times. If that's you this morning, that's where you found yourself that you've had, you've known what it is, maybe in the recent past or maybe a distant past, to have a real season of everything seem to be working for you spiritually and physically and financially in every other way, and then suddenly you found yourself coming into, if that's you, then I'm hoping our text will give you some direction on what to do if you find yourself in that situation. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Okay. Uh, let me just ask, who here knows what it is to be in a season of blessing ever in your life? And we've got some folks here who have had quite a journey with Christ, knows what it is to be in a season of blessing and then possibly without warning go straight into a storm. Let me see your hand. Anybody? All right. We're going to look this morning at two miracles of Jesus, which Jesus tied them together. It's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, 
and the miracle of calming of the storm. They're both here in Mark chapter 6. These two miracles are typically uh, preached on or, or talked about or, or, or taught separately as two uh, different stories of, of the miracles of Jesus. But you will notice, and I will show you this morning, that Jesus brings these two together, the feeding of the 5,000 and the calming of the storm. And Because when you look at them together you discover there is a revelation that is available to us on how to go from a miracle of great blessing, the loaves and fishes, then to move into a storm, and there are some principles there for us to understand. And then, having gone through the storm, from that storm to even then greater blessing on the other side of the storm. Go with me to Mark chapter 6, please. And I'm going to hop around a bit through the chapter to kind of give you the message I want to give you today. So just keep your Bible open there. I'm starting right now in verse 51, Mark chapter 6, verse 51, where we pick up the story in the midst of the storm and just after uh, there had been the feeding of the 5,000. Mark 6, verse 51. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. And here's my verse that I'm awkward with. It just, it, it just kind of doesn't fit to me, and it, it just slaps me in the face every time I read it. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. What can possibly be the situation where your heart is too hard to take in a miracle of Jesus that you've just seen happen? It's like there's these wonderful things we're saying about the work of Jesus, and then we talk about the disciples, and we say their hearts were too hard to take it in. That's the verse I struggle with. It just doesn't, doesn't fit. But regardless, the disciples found themselves going from a miracle into a storm, from purpose into pain, from blessing to brokenness, from triumph to testing or a trial or, or, or turmoil. And they do so with hearts, the Bible tells us. They make that transition. They do so with hearts that were hardened. So what if you, you and I find ourselves in that condition? What if we find that We've had this wonderful season, and yet now, for whatever reason, God seems to have moved us into a time of real testing and trial and storm. How do you deal with that? How, what, what do you do in that situation? Earlier in this chapter, we see the setting up of the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Still in Mark 6, verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. So then Jesus said to them, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Now that may have been part of the problem, gentlemen, you know what I'm saying? So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. What do we do when the sequence of events in our lives takes us from 
a season of triumph, and then into a season of testing. Here are the three points I want to give you today if you're taking notes. What do we do? Number one, we must renew our hearts. Number two, we must receive correction. Number three, we must recognize and remember certain kingdom principles. What's the first one? We must. We must. What's the next one? What, what is it again? And then finally, we must recognize. Let's talk about our hearts. The disciples needed for their hearts to be renewed because the Bible tells us their hearts were hardened. So what happened? Why? Why were their hearts in that condition? Well, I think we can assume there was a hardening of their hearts because of two primary things. There could be others, but two things I want us to consider. I think it was their weariness, and I think it was their woundedness. Because in the previous chapter, Jesus had sent them and they're doing His will, they're doing the work of the Lord and preaching and teaching and praying for the sick and serving and they're battling darkness and they're out there doing the work of the Lord over and over and over again, giving everything they have and they're, they're busy about what they're doing. And here in Mark 6.30, they're returning to Jesus, it says from their ministry tour, and telling Jesus of all their exploits and all that they had done, all that they had taught, all that they had seen. But somehow Jesus in his infinite wisdom is seeing behind the facade of all the out-of-breath activity that they've done. He's seeing beyond all of that, and he sees them almost out of breath spiritually, and he's looking at them, and what he sees is a tiredness, a feebleness, a, a weakness, a weariness in them. And so what does he say? He says, come on, come on, guys. I'm glad you've done all those things. I see how busy you've been. I see what all you're doing. Let's, let's go off by ourselves and rest, let's rest a while. Let's, let's get in, in the boat. And how amazing it must have been simply to withdraw and simply be in the presence of Jesus. How many of you here know this morning there's nothing like the presence of Jesus? Oh, come on. How many of you know there's nothing like, nothing like the presence of Jesus? And they come away from the demands of the crowds and all that the crowds are asking, bless me, heal me, touch me, free me, cleanse me, uh, deliver me. I need this, I need that, I need this. And now they're just floating along the placid waters of the Sea of Galilee and so beautiful on that lake and just drinking in the words of Christ and the peace that he brings. But while they're in the boat enjoying the peaceful calm, Guess what happened? The crowd snuck around to the other side. Hi, we're still here. You didn't get away from us. It's us. They snuck around. They beat them to the other side of the lake somehow. They must have been fast running. And they were just waiting for them when they got on the other side. And, you know, and it's not in the text quite like this, but can't you almost hear the moan coming from the disciples going, oh, no, not them again. They're still here. I thought we just got away from them. And here are the disciples with their weariness and their fatigue and their busyness. And I, I, I think this quote from Christian philosopher Soren Kierkegaard is quite accurate. He says this, Busyness is that state of constant distraction that allows people to avoid difficult realities and maintain self-deception. You want to hear it again? Good. Busyness is that state of constant distraction 
that allows people to avoid difficult realities and maintain self-deception. And that's where the disciples find find themselves. And it could be where you find yourself this morning. And for many of us, when we are going through the storm, when you're going through a test, believe me, I know what I'm talking about. I've done it. Going through a trial. What do we do? We just stay really busy. It's like we almost have this fear of stopping. If I stop, if I stop all the stuff, I'm just going to collapse and fall apart. So we just stay busy, 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 doing whether it's the work of the Lord or, or, or your vocation or, or whatever it is that you're doing. And for most of us, the storm itself that we're dealing with is so consuming. Maybe someone in your family is sick and you're their caretaker, or you're, you're going through a battle with your children, and it seems like every day there's a, a new piece of something to have to deal with, or there's a situation at work, or a situation in your home. And what happens, church, is we tend to have this carnal reflex to just busy ourselves all the more and just be sure we don't stop. Stopping would be the worst thing. So we busy ourselves. And that's the condition the disciples were in. Their hearts needed to be renewed because of their weariness. And their hearts needed to be renewed because of their woundedness. If you look uh, even further up in this chapter 6, just before when the disciples had returned to Christ to tell them all they'd done. But you see is the tragic story of the beheading of John the Baptist. It was insane. It was unjust. It was unfair. It was this terrifying and disgusting moment of what took place, that blessed man. You know the story. John was imprisoned for confronting the truth of the adulterous king and his mistress turned wife. And in an orgy of decadence and insanity, his, his daughter dances before him. And in his delight, the king says, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And the girl runs to her mother and she says, what shall I ask? And her mother said, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And verse 27 tells us that immediately he sent an executioner to go to the prison, find John and take off his head. The head was given to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. And then when the disciples heard what had happened, they came to get John's body. It was their responsibility then to bury it in a tomb. And that's when the Bible says, then the disciples returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done. With every fiber of their being screaming, why? Why did this have to happen like this? This is so unjust. It's just so, so wrong. But they just keep running, and they just keep going until Jesus says, stop, stop, come away with me. You need to come into my presence. And I'm speaking to many of you this morning that when you go from a season of triumph into a season of testing and trial, that in your own weariness of the battle and the busyness and the woundedness, you reach a point of almost not even caring anymore, but you keep running and, and, and you keep staying really busy with all the hurt that you're absorbing in the process and all the expenditure of, of energy and, and the depletion of your emotional resources. Oftentimes, then we make the mistake of then never feeding our own soul, never returning what we, we need, never finding yourself spiritually. Frankly, that's why Becky and I got away to New York this last week. We're in a season of our lives. We had to, there's been so much pouring out. We had to have a time 
of just being ministered to ourselves. And all the while we get in that season, the voice of God is calling out to you, you must come away and renew your heart in my presence. You must stop and bring your hurt and your pain and your weariness and your woundedness to me that my spirit would come and comfort and strengthen and rebuild and give direction for how you're to go on from this point. In their weariness and in their woundedness, they needed to be mended and for their hearts to be softened. Let me tell you what busyness does. And I'm an expert. I, I have my degree in busyness. Busyness will keep you from feeding your spirit with proper nutrition, creating a perfect situation for weariness and woundedness. I know you don't love hearing that any more than I love hearing it, but it's true. Busyness will keep you from feeding your spirit with proper nutrition, creating a perfect situation for weariness and woundedness. And so one of the questions to us this morning, and there's a couple, one of the questions are this, what are you feeding in your life? What are you feeding in your life? There was a dear brother from the hills of Kentucky giving his testimony in church, complete with banjo and the whole bit. You got the picture. This guy hadn't cut his hair or his beard in decades, full of tattoos, obviously had experienced quite a rough life with alcoholism and violence and and crime. And though he and his wife were radiant today with the new life they had found in, in Christ, he was up giving his testimony while playing his banjo to what his former life had been. And he told of how he, he used to make a lot of money in dog fights. He raised pit bulls for dog fights. Hallelujah. And he told how he always made money because he always knew which dog was going to win the fight. And so he knew exactly how to place the bet against whoever he was with. So how did he know, you ask? And he said this, I always knew which dog was going to live and which dog was going to die because I was always feeding the one and starving the other. So he knew. That's how I made so much money. So the question to you and me this morning is this, what are you feeding? What are you keeping nourished in your own soul? What are you feeding? Are you feeding your flesh or are you feeding your faith? Are you feeding your worldliness or are you feeding your worship? Are you feeding your bitterness, God forbid, or are you feeding the blessing of God in your life? Are you feeding, uh, I'm going to go to meddling here, folks. Are you feeding lust for Netflix, HBO, Internet, Facebook, Instagram will not feed your spirit? There's a newsflash for you today. It will not keep your heart in the condition it needs to be. I knew I wouldn't get a lot of amens on that. One, thank you, sir, whoever you are. Are you feeding your hurt or are you feeding your hope? As you move from your season of triumph to the season of trial and testing, I just want you to know today that the Lord Jesus is calling out to you. Come away with me. Come away with me and let me speak the words of comfort to your heart. Words that will make a difference in your life. We need our hearts to be made new again. Can you agree with that today, Bethesda? When we move from triumph to testing, we must renew our heart. But also, and this is the part you're really going to enjoy this morning, we, not, we must receive correction. I knew this would be the exciting part you would love. Jesus corrects them. 
For you see, Jesus was moved with compassion for the people. Talk about the disciples. He was moved with compassion for the people, but the disciples were ready to what? Send them away. I've had enough. It wasn't the people who were tired and discouraged. It was the disciples who were tired and discouraged. The people needed Christ and they were coming to Christ, but the disciples were, had allowed their hearts to become hardened and dried up. So Jesus says to the disciples, says, feed the people. The disciples says, can't do that. We don't have any resources to do that. Jesus says, bring what you have. The disciples' answer was this, if you follow the text, it's worded a little bit different than King James, but let them go to nearby farms and, and villages or, or run to McDonald's and Whataburger. They can go wherever they want to go and buy something to eat. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. You feed them. You see, he's having to correct them. He's having to correct their thinking. He's having to correct their words. He's having to correct their direction, their actions, their perspective, their decisions. There's quite a bit to that correcting word. It's not, it can't just be read on the surface. What's he really saying to them? He's correcting their priorities. He's correcting how they see, how they speak, how they think. Why? Because their hearts were hardened. They needed to change. They needed to be corrected. They needed to repent. They needed to break patterns. They needed to grow so that God could fulfill his purposes in them. Bethesda, I've been in ministry now more than 44 years. I started when I was three. <laughs> but I am more convinced today than ever before that the one thing most greatly needed for people to fulfill the call of God on their life and the one thing most needed for fruitful, impactful ministry, the number one quality needed for that is this, a teachable spirit. Unfortunately, what we see more often today is an attitude that says, you know what, I'm, I'm the smartest guy in the room and I'm out to prove it. I know it all, I've, I've seen it all, I've heard it all. There's really nothing you can tell me. and I'm quite sure that my perspective is the right one on, on all things. But dear friend, when you are moving from a season of triumph to a season of testing, and some of you have already acknowledged in this room today that you know what that is, to go from a season of blessing and suddenly you move into this almost knocks the props right out from underneath you and you want to know what to do, the number one thing you need in this season is a teachable spirit. Doesn't matter how long you've been in church. Doesn't matter how long you've been in ministry. Doesn't matter what your pedigree is, what your background is. The number one thing, because you know what? God's always doing a new thing. Aren't you glad for that? God's always doing a new thing. We don't have it down. I don't have it down. None, we don't have it down. God cannot be confined to the ways He's always done it before. He's always doing a new He says, behold, I do a new thing. And we, therefore, must maintain a teachable spirit. And I want to say this clearly today. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter your family upbringing, your socioeconomic class. It doesn't matter your mistakes, and I've made more than all of us put together. It doesn't matter how heavy your past has been. And I declare this today to break the lie of the enemy off you. There is no limitation to what God can do with the man or the woman who has a teachable spirit. No limitation at all. 
And I don't know why it's this way. I'll ask when I get to heaven. But God seems to, to, to love to take the feeble, foolish, incapable things, incapable to us of this world, to us, and transform them into his glory if we allow him to do so with a teachable spirit. And the paradox is this. No matter how talented, no matter how gifted, no matter how called, no matter how destined, how knowledgeable, how charismatic, how professional, how proficient a person is, I certainly can't, and God doesn't seem to want to do anything with someone who is not teachable. And it's such a common mistake that we see in ministry. I've done it many, many times. Common mistake with Christian leaders, to find one who has an outstanding gift whether it's a music gift or, or a vocal gift or a teaching gift or even an administrative gift, whatever the gift is, they bring this outstanding gift. And you think, oh, we can use that in the church. That's exactly what we need. But with that particular package comes someone who is not teachable. And you just assume, pastors many times assume, that if you just invest enough time, invest enough, you can help develop them into a superstar for Jesus. But if there is a hardening of their heart and an unteachable spirit, and they already know it all, then it is a complete waste of time. There's no progress. There's no fruit. There, people are hurt. People quit. People jump from church to church. And so the next question comes to us today. When you're moving from a season of triumph to a season of testing, let me just put it to you straight. Can God correct you? Do you allow God to correct you? Can God speak to you? Can God change you? Can you allow God to use someone to speak into your life? And I want us to remember this. Correction is not condemnation. It is grace and love unconditional. It is not meant to demean us. It is meant to develop us. It is not meant to beat us down. It is meant to build us up. It is not because we are disqualified. It is because we are destined by God for His purposes that He loves and corrects us. He's a loving Father, and He has the right to correct us. Amen to that church today. I don't know about you, but today I say, oh God, when I'm walking into a season of storm, Please give me the humility to open my heart and say, what, what, what is it that you need to teach me, Lord? I can tell you what's wrong with everybody else. I already got that figured out. I know what they need to do and they need to change and all that. What I know what that needs to, I got the whole plan for everybody else. But I have to start by saying, Lord, what is it you need to teach me? What needs to change in me? Shine your searchlight in me, O oh God. Search me, O oh God, and see if there be in me any wicked way that I would find the paths of life. Is that your prayer today, church? The teachable spirit will stop in the midst of the storm and they will say, O oh God, show me. What do I keep? What do I let go? What do I change? Transform me into your image. Change me, O oh God, that the flow of life might be restored to my life and to my family in Jesus' name. Look at verse 41. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish and he looked up toward heaven and blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. You know the story. They all ate as much as they wanted and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets. How many, how many baskets? 
12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men plus their families were fed. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling one, everyone goodbye, he went up, Jesus went up to the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind, struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when he saw them walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. We're going to put all this into perspective in just a minute. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. And then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. When we go from triumph of the miracle into a test or into a storm, we must renew our hearts. We must receive correction. And then we must recognize and remember certain kingdom principles. I want to give you three very quickly as I start to bring this, as I start to bring this to a close. Operative word there is start. Three simple kingdom principles that I pray can help you this morning. They've helped me, and I pray that they help you. When you find yourself moving from triumph to testing, the first principle is what we'll call the kingdom law of blessing. Say that with me. Kingdom. When Jesus had the five loaves and two fish, he picked them up, put them in his hand, he looked to heaven, and he gave thanks, and he blessed them. Five loaves and two fish with a multitude standing in front of him. He thanked heaven for this provision for the people. The principle I'm trying to show you this morning is this. Jesus blessed that which was clearly not enough. Jesus blessed that which was clearly and obviously not enough. In fact, what he was blessing, what he was giving thanks for, was woefully inadequate for this multitude he was about to feed. The principle includes this, and when you go through a storm, particularly after having a triumph and knowing what it is to have plenty, And having abundance, you have to learn to bless and thank God for that which is still not enough. It's not enough. Don't curse your not enough. This situation is not enough. My finances are not enough. How many know what I'm talking about, not enough? My finances are not enough. My husband, not enough. My wife, not enough. My kids are not enough. My relationship with them is not enough. My son in this season of his life is not enough. My church is not enough. My ministry is not enough. Do not curse your not enough. Jesus lifted up and blessed and offered thanks for that which was clearly not enough. You know why? That's because his eyes and his gaze were upon a God who is more than enough. Hallelujah. Come on, put your hands together and bless the Lord for that today. When you come to the point of your storm, bless God for your not enough. 
God, I bless you for my children, even in the state they're in right now, because there's a promise hanging over their life in Jesus' name. God, I bless you for my church. I bless you for everything that you've done in my life. I offer up to you right now today, my not enough. How many of you today have a not enough in your life? Let me see your hand. Who's got a not enough? I want you to take your hands like this and lift it up and say, Lord, I'm offering my not enough before you today. I'm blessing you. Come on right now. Put your hands up like this. I'm blessing you for my not enough. I'm, I'm giving thanks for it looks like not enough to me, but I'm offering it to the one who is more than enough in the name of Jesus. We must remember and recognize the kingdom law of blessing, but also there's the kingdom law of brokenness. Jesus blessed, but then he broke it, and the miracle was in the breaking. The miracle is in the breaking. I said the miracle was in the breaking. I don't want you to miss it. The miracle did not begin until he blessed and broke the loaves. And as Jesus kept breaking the loaves, the miracle, as they, he, more and more breaking, going, how many know what it is to be broken in this house? Am I the only one? As he kept breaking the loaves and there was more brokenness and more brokenness, guess what? The miracle kept multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. We often get discouraged in a season of breaking in our lives. I, my goodness, I have been. Even somehow believing that our brokenness and the condition we find ourselves in as a result of our brokenness will somehow disqualify us. Disqualify us for ministry. Dis disqualify us for relationship. Disqualify us for, 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 for being in the human race. But to the contrary, brokenness in the hands of Jesus can deepen us and develop us into the destiny that God has for us in Jesus' name. Some of you are going through a season right now where the storm you're going through is breaking you. I want you to know that the Lord is saying to you this morning, bring your brokenness to me. And through your brokenness, I'm going to perform miraculous things in your life that you can't even see right now. I'm deepening you. I'm transforming you. I am preparing you for that storm that you're going to face. Because on the other side of that storm was a multitude of people who needed Christ. And the disciples went through that storm and stepped right out of that boat into a season of supernatural breakthroughs and miracles and change. When you study the Gospels, at this point the disciples had known him as a teacher and as a miracle worker, but now they were going to know him because of this breaking in a deeper way than ever before. The law of blessing, when it's not enough, offer it to God, give thanks for you're not enough. And, has, and, and bless it unto him. The law of brokenness. If you will understand it and believe it, it will change the way you go through your season of brokenness. God, as I walk through the season of brokenness, you're preparing me for, for, for that, that, preparing me that out of my brokenness, the miraculous will come. And lastly is this. There's the law of breakthrough. Church, don't ever forget. Dan, don't ever forget. The impossible is where God starts. Say it with me, the impossible. It is the threshold of his purposes. The, the impossible is the path of entry to the miraculous in your life. The impossible, what you're facing today, 
The impossible thing you walked in this building with today is that literally the path of entry to the miraculous. Somebody ought to say hallelujah for that today. The little boy who wasn't even counted in the number brought, because it was only uh, uh, men, not women and children, the little boy who wasn't even counted brought the sacrifice and the offering, and yet he mattered the most. So the little boy who brought the offering wasn't even included in that count, and yet the breakthrough was so astonishing that thousands were fed because of him. You would have thought the disciples should have been filled with a sense at that moment of, oh, wait a minute. If we bring our brokenness to him and our pieces to him, if we let him renew our hearts, he's going to do something so far beyond what we could imagine. Here's what I want you to hear today. I'm sure you've noticed, you've read it, that the story tells us that afterwards they picked up how many baskets of leftovers. We read that. The disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. So, if you think about it, there's a basket full of leftovers for each one of the disciples to carry away from the place. Can't you just see them carrying them? Here's a basket of leftovers. They know what they started with. I got my basket, you got your basket, you got your basket. They're walking away, somewhat dazed at what had just taken place. And Jesus said immediately, go get in that boat. I'm going to send you on your way, and I'm going up to that hill to pray. Now imagine with me, each of them sitting on the boat with their arms wrapped around their basket of leftovers, around their basket of God's faithfulness, their arms wrapped around their basket of God's proven abundance. They got their arms wrapped around their basket of His blessing, His omnipotence, and the fact that He's Almighty God, that He can do anything. That's what they've got their arms wrapped around as they're sitting on the boat. And they go into the storm. And yet when He comes walking on the water, they cried out in terror thinking He was a ghost. They didn't recognize Him. Why? Because their hearts were somehow hardened. The law of breakthrough is that you must remember to take the baskets of yesterday's faithfulness into today's storm. Take the basket full of leftovers of what you've just seen Christ do miraculously. There were 12 baskets left over. There's one for you. Now take that with you as you get on the boat and the winds and the waves start to come and the boat begins to rock and go from one side to the other and you're not sure if you're going to make it, but you have your arms wrapped around the faithfulness of God, the abundance of God and all that God can do and the fact that He is a miracle-working God. Somebody say, bless the Lord this morning. Never forgetting that no matter what He did yesterday, He is the same yesterday, today, and and I want to say to someone today, I, I've just felt prompted to say this, that he is walking right toward you in your storm, and you do not recognize him, but it is him, it is him, it is him. You have never left his sight. And I encourage you to lift your voice and say, this basket is with me, which reminds me that God is with me. Who have I spoken to today? Anybody? I have no idea. 
If, I've, if any of this has spoken to you today, would you just stand right where you are and let me pray with you before we dismiss? Anybody at all? If you've walked in that season of the storm, let God renew your heart. Oh, 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 church. That we never allow our hearts to be so influenced by the spirit of the age, the spirit of the world that we live in. We used to call it worldliness. Cynicism. All the disgust that's on TV that changes our attitude. Let our hearts, let God renew your heart today, no matter what has brought you to this moment. Allow Him to soften and keep your heart malleable. I know it's a place of vulnerability, but it's vulnerability unto Him. Allow Him to soften your heart as you spend time in His presence. Weariness, woundedness, worldliness, whatever is wearing on you, get into the presence of God and let Him touch your heart. You may have come from a season of blessing, walking straight into a storm. Do not reject the faithful, tender, correcting hand of the Lord. And don't be surprised how, when, and where it comes from. Whatever you do, maintain a teachable spirit. And in your storm, hang on to these simple principles. The law of blessing. When it's not enough, and you go home this afternoon and look at your checkbook, or you go on in line and check your account, and it's not enough, lift it before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm offering you my not enough. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Kind of pitiful, pathetic when you look at what it's supposed to do. But here's my not enough. And I thank you for it. And I'm asking you to bless it. The law of brokenness, the miracle is in the breaking. Some of you are going right now through a season of brokenness. And when you are broken in the hands of the Lord, that's when multiplication comes. When was the last time? I'm asking you what I ask myself. When was the last time you allowed yourself to be broken before the Lord Jesus? Weeping before Him. Just humbled under the mighty hand of God. When was the last time? The law of breakthrough. Never forget to take the basket of yesterday's faithfulness. The proven abundance of our God. You've got the basket of leftovers, and I want you to walk out of here today with your basket of leftovers, and I want you to take that straight into the storm that you're facing. Put it in the car with you. Take it home. Take it in your house. See, it's my basket of leftovers, but you know what? You know what that reminds me? You know what that basket reminds me of? That basket reminds me that my God can do anything, and He starts where things are impossible. And he will do what no other power can do. And He will provide for you the breakthrough that you need in Jesus' name. Father, we stand before you today. So in need of your grace. So in need of your help. And to even preach a message like this and to even talk like this today is a reminder of how wonderful you are. What a mighty God we serve. How incredible is your faithfulness. We got up this morning to new mercies because we used up yesterday's. We thank you, Lord that you are so lavish in your love for us. And you pick us up time and time and time and time again. And for that, we bless you. And Lord, I'm praying for those who are in the midst of the storm that you're going to give them breakthrough. 
that you're going to keep their heart tender before you today, oh God. And Lord, we're looking for supernatural surprise, supernatural surprise, because you're going to show up in a way that is least expected. When we're not even thinking about it, there's going to be a supernatural surprise because of your mighty power. So today, we exalt the name of Jesus, and we declare as the choir did earlier, oh Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And we lift our voices to bless you and to magnify you. And we thank you for these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church shouted hallelujah.